Amen. Yeah, so we are continuing in the series of the Gospel of Luke, and we actually bring it to a close this morning. So will you please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 27. It can be found on page 885 in the Pew Bible. It's Luke 24, verses 13 to 27. Hear now the eternal living word of God. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels, who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The word of the Lord. Have any of you ever seen the movie The Sixth Sense? It's starring Bruce Willis as a child psychologist, and he works with a little boy that gets visited by ghosts. Throughout the movie, ghosts with unresolved problems appear to this little boy. And the fascinating part of the movie, other than it being filmed in Philadelphia, is that unbeknownst to the viewer, Bruce Willis's character is a ghost himself. The director expertly hides the fact that Bruce Willis's character is dead the entire movie. But then he reveals this to the viewer at the end. And the interesting part for most of us is going back and watching that movie again. And this time knowing that he is dead the whole time. It creates a whole new experience. You can now look for little clues that the director leaves that Bruce Willis is a ghost the whole time. You can see how everything points to this fact that is finally revealed in the end. Now, our passage for this morning, Jesus has a conversation with two disciples walking from Jerusalem to a village named Emmaus. 
And in this conversation, Jesus goes to the scriptures and he shows them that all the things that happened to him were not some tragic accident. Rather, the death and resurrection of Jesus has always been God's eternal plan. And so this morning, we'll see three things about the death and resurrection of Jesus. First, the death and resurrection of Jesus was necessary. Second, the death and resurrection of Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. And third, the death and resurrection of Jesus reveals the truth about who he is. So last week we celebrated and Pastor Tim preached on Easter, the victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so this story this morning immediately follows the resurrection in Luke's gospel. God bless you. Luke begins this story in verse 13. He says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Luke tells us this story takes place the same day as the resurrection. And he says two of them, meaning two of Jesus' disciples, were on their way to a village named Emmaus. They're leaving Jerusalem after the Passover festival and all the drama that took place culminating in the crucifixion of Jesus. And Luke says that they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So the two disciples were most likely on their way home from Jerusalem, discussing everything that had just taken place. Then all of a sudden, Jesus appears with them. Luke writes, while they were walking, or while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So here is the first of three resurrection appearances in Luke's gospel. But it says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So these disciples walking home on this seven-mile journey, talking about everything that has just happened, then the risen Jesus appears with them, but they don't even know it was him. Then Jesus asked them in verse 17, What is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? So in this first resurrection appearance, Jesus appears with these two disciples, and he just pops up and says, Hey, what are you guys talking about? And it says, They stood still, looking sad. Now, to consider the emotional state of the disciples, it reminds me of a story back in January of 2003. The Eagles played their last home game ever at the infamous Veterans Stadium. They had reached the NFC Championship game for the second year in a row, and this year they're hosting it. And on top of all that, this was the last game ever at the Vet. Eagles fans had high hopes. Our team was the favorite to win big. We had just crushed the Atlanta Falcons in the previous game, and now we had home field advantage. And so when we scored in the opening drive of the game, you can imagine how everyone felt. This was our year. The Eagles are going to the Super Bowl. But were they? As one ESPN writer put it, what stands next still stands among the darkest hours in Philadelphia sports history. The Bucks began to systematically dismantle the Eagles' defense. They beat them 27-10, to 10, completely humiliating them. The fans left the vet for the last time in silence. Before the game... They could almost see the Eagles in the Super Bowl already. They had high hopes coming into this game, but they were crushed. They were left feeling empty and saddened by this devastating loss. 
And this just gives us a glimpse into what the disciples were feeling. They were followers of Jesus. They had witnessed his miracles. They knew he was sent from God. They knew he had to be the Messiah. This is it. The long-ago promised, long-awaited Messiah is here. It's Jesus, and he's our guy. They were in his inner circle. They most likely believed he was going to lead the Jewish people back to the glory days of the kingdom of Israel. They believed that he was going to defeat the Romans and free them from their political oppression. And they were with him. They had high hopes not only for him, but for themselves. But then, right before the Passover festival, the religious leaders of the Jewish community handed him over to the Romans to be killed. And he wasn't simply killed. He was publicly beaten, mocked, and humiliated. He was crucified, which was the death of a criminal. He and all of his disciples were completely disgraced. And their high hopes were crushed. So when these two disciples were approached by Jesus, asking them what they were talking about, they stood still, looking sad. They were devastated. Then one of the disciples, named Cleopas, responds in verse 18. He said, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Then Jesus said, What things? And Cleopas responds with everything that was causing them such grief in this moment. Starting in verse 19, he said, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. One commentator referred to this as the gospel according to Cleopas. Cleopas does lay out most of the basic facts of the gospel here. He begins with the life and earthly ministry of Jesus. Jesus was a real man who walked the earth. He speaks of Jesus as a mighty prophet. And just like the Old Testament prophets, Jesus worked miracles and spoke the truth of God to the people. He speaks of the tragic death of Jesus, where the religious leaders conspired against him and had him crucified. But this gospel, according to Cleopas, is missing something. He mentions even that it is the third day since Jesus' death. He says that the tomb was empty and that there were angels claiming that Jesus is alive. But Cleopas is still sad. He's still devastated. He's still thinking that their hope that Jesus was the one sent to redeem Israel has been crushed. Because he's missing that Jesus really did rise from the dead. Cleopas had most of his facts right about Jesus, but he was still missing the victory that had been won. The gospel, according to Cleopas, is no gospel at all because it lacked the truth of the resurrection. It lacked the truth that Jesus redeemed his people through his death and then rose from the dead in triumph. Without the resurrection, there's no good news for any of us. The Apostle Paul put it in his first letter to the Corinthians, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. 
Because Jesus didn't defeat the Romans. He defeated Satan. He defeated evil. He defeated sin. He defeated death. And his resurrection confirms all of this. Jesus then rebukes these two disciples for missing this truth. Starting in verse 25, he says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? So Jesus rebukes them as foolish ones. They're clueless. They had no idea of the reality of what had just happened. They believed many important things about Jesus, but they were missing a crucial truth. And Jesus asked this rhetorical question. He says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And that brings us our first point for this morning. The death and resurrection of Jesus was necessary. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't an accident. The suffering death of Jesus was necessary to pay the penalty for the sins of his people. The sacrificial death of Jesus was the only way God was ever going to redeem his people. The holiness, righteousness, justice of God demands that sin be punished. And the Christ, the Messiah, God's anointed one, Jesus, had to suffer for the sins of his people. We know that Jesus was the one that the prophet Isaiah spoke of. The one who was born our griefs and carried our sorrows. The one who was pierced for our transgressions that the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. In order for God's people to be redeemed, it was necessary for Jesus to die the brutal death that he did, but also to be raised from the dead in glory. It wasn't only necessary for Jesus to die as our substitute, but that he would enter into glory in his resurrection. Jesus lived a sinless life so death couldn't hold him. Jesus defeated the power of sin and death and therefore it was also necessary that he rose from the dead. It was necessary that Jesus die and rise from the dead so that he could restore all things. So that everything that is wrong in this world could be made right. The disciples thought the crucifixion meant that Jesus was not the Messiah. But Jesus corrects them here. He's saying that the crucifixion and the resurrection prove that he is the Messiah. Then Luke tells us in verse 27, In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So after rebuking the disciples and their lack of belief in the necessity of of his death and resurrection, Jesus then gives them a tour through the scriptures, showing them how everything points to him. And this is our second point for this morning. The death and resurrection of Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus is central to the Old Testament. This was something that he taught from the beginning of his ministry. In John chapter 5, Speaking to the Pharisees, Jesus said, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. The whole of the Old Testament points us to Jesus. And everything that is written about him must be fulfilled. The death and resurrection of Jesus has always been God's eternal plan. And God in his infinite wisdom has been laying this out 
in the scriptures. And just like the enhanced experience of watching the sixth sense, knowing that the main character is a ghost, when you start to see that the whole of the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, it opens the Old Testament scriptures to you. When you read the Old Testament in a way that realizes that it's full of Jesus Christ, you see it in a whole new light. The way Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians, for all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. The whole of the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, finds its meaning in Jesus Christ. To fully understand the Old Testament, you have to understand its connection to both the cross and the empty tomb. The suffering of Jesus and his entering into glory is proclaimed throughout the Old Testament. From the opening of the Bible, the creation accounts, we know that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. All things were created by him, through him, and for him. After the fall of Adam and Eve, we read that the seed of Eve, that is a human man, will be bruised by Satan before crushing his head. Jesus is the serpent crusher. He is the son of the woman who is bruised on the cross but ultimately defeats Satan. Jesus is the true seed of Abraham, the one whom God promised to send to bless the whole world. And we read of the Exodus from Egypt, God's people being delivered through, from death through the sacrifice of a Passover lamb. We know that Jesus is the Lamb of God who sacrificed himself to deliver his people from sin and death. Even in the actual event of the Exodus, where God frees his people from bondage in Egypt, this points us to Jesus, who liberates us from the bondage of sin. In Leviticus, we read that atonement can only be made through the offering of sacrificial blood. And as the atonement of our sins is made through the sacrificial blood of Jesus. In Deuteronomy, we read that those who break the covenant are cursed. But the covenant-breaking sinners can find grace through the sprinkling of blood on the altar. Jesus became a curse for us, and he redeems us through the blood on the cross. And that's just the Torah. That's just the first five books of the Bible. The prophets also consistently point us to the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Isaiah said that the Christ would be wounded for our iniquities and pierced for our transgressions. Jeremiah said that the Christ would be mocked and abused. Zechariah said that the Christ would make atonement for the whole land in a single day. All these prophecies and so many more find their fulfillment in the suffering death of Jesus on the cross. But it's not just the predictions of Jesus' death and resurrection that we see in the Old Testament. He's everywhere. Jesus is the second Adam who succeeded in obedience where the first Adam failed. Jesus is the ark that saves God's people from the wrath of God. He's the prophet greater than Moses. He's the great high priest. He's the final sacrifice for sin. He's the true temple of God. He's the greater Israel, the true firstborn son of God. He's the son of David who will sit on the throne for eternity. He's the ark of the covenant, and it's his blood on the mercy seat. Everything points to him. And we could go on like this for days through the Old Testament and still not cover everything about Jesus. The fact is is that God has been miraculously revealing him to us through the scriptures. And now we see the fullness of God's plan in the life, death, 
and resurrection of Jesus. The death and resurrection of Jesus has always been God's eternal plan of salvation. But the story of Jesus with the disciples on the road to Emmaus doesn't end with this master class on interpreting the Old Testament. He goes back to Emmaus with them. They invite him in to stay the night. They eat bread together, which he blesses, breaks, and serves to them. Then all of a sudden, their eyes are opened. They finally recognize him. At this moment, as soon as they recognize him, though, he vanishes. So this story is quite remarkable. The whole time these two disciples had been with the risen Jesus. Jesus, in his glorious resurrected body, was the one who revealed that his death and resurrection was necessary. He's the one that revealed to them that the Old Testament was about him and ultimately fulfilled in his death and resurrection. And this brings us to our third point for this morning. The death and resurrection of Jesus reveals the truth about who he is. You know, many people today say that Jesus was a prophet or, or simply a great moral teacher. But they say he isn't God or he isn't a savior. They consider him another great person in history and liken him to Buddha or Gandhi. But there are several issues with this view. The first is that the things that Jesus taught render this view untrue. If you look at all the things Jesus said, he never claimed to be a great moral teacher. He claimed to have the authority to forgive sin. He claimed to be the Son of Man, who is a divine human, given authority over all the kingdoms of earth. He claimed that he would be killed and rise from the dead on the third day, and that this would be the fulfillment of the whole of the Old Testament. If you take what Jesus taught seriously you could never come to the conclusion that he was simply a great human moral teacher. C.S. Lewis famously put it this way, I am trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choices. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else he is a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. There's another issue with Jesus being simply a great human moral teacher. Not only do Jesus' teachings conflict with this idea, but his resurrection makes this idea impossible. Great moral teachers that are nothing more than human beings don't rise from the dead. If Jesus has risen from the dead, then he is the risen Lord. This also means that you can't simply say it's subjective, like many people try to do. Right? In a postmodern society, people will say that, well, Christianity may be true for you, but my truth is something else. But the resurrection of Jesus is something objective. Either he rose from the dead, or he didn't. And this is what the Apostle Paul's arguing for in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, 
that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Paul saying it, it is an objective fact that Jesus died and rose from the dead. Just has been predicted throughout the Old Testament. And there are eyewitnesses of this, more than 500 of them. And he's saying at the time that he wrote this, most of them are still alive. So if you don't believe him, go ask them. He goes on to say, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is a moment that took place in history. And the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And this also means that Jesus was who he says he was. Jesus is the God-man, the creator of all things, the one who has come to usher in the kingdom of God and restore all things. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, forgiveness can be found in him. He has come to save his people from their sins and grant them eternal life through his death and resurrection. The death and resurrection of Jesus reveals the truth about who Jesus is. And it's always been God's eternal plan to save his people. And this truth about Jesus means that all who place their faith in him are saved from their sins and have eternal life with him. So if you already know this to be true, let this truth energize you. Let it reignite a fire in you for the kingdom of God and for the advancement of the gospel. We need to hear this truth over and over again so it continually can be in our minds. So that we can live every moment with the good news of Jesus Christ in our hearts. And if you have not come to know the truth that Jesus Christ is your Savior, remember what we have heard today. That Jesus is God's long ago promised Savior. And this is validated in his death and resurrection. Remember that he is who he says he is. Because he rose from the dead, he is the Lord of lords, the King of kings. Put your faith and trust in Jesus for your salvation. Because in Jesus Christ, we have everything. Without him, we have nothing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you with empty hands. We have nothing to offer you for our salvation But in your grace and mercy, you look upon us with love. Through the gift of faith, you cover us in the righteousness of your Son. And the debt of our sins is paid at the cross. We glory in the resurrection of Jesus. We wait with hope for our own future resurrection, which we know is guaranteed through the glorious resurrection of Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.